You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Now to the book of 1 John, I want to share a topic with you I never get tired of sharing. And in 1 John chapter number 4, we're going to read a little bit about this particular topic. Uh, it's a familiar topic, but again, I never get oh, I never never get tired of hearing about it. We're going to start announcing junior church again before I get up here and preach, Ryan, uh, and maybe have a video. Uh, I want to do a video too for junior church, maybe to advertise that. But they are starting junior church for the kids that go back uh, to that. Uh, and I will let you know that any of the youth stuff that uh, we do here at the church, um, it's not just the kids getting back there, coloring pictures, and trying to keep them entertained for the, a little bit. They may indeed color a picture, and they may indeed play a game, uh, but they will uh, also hear and learn Scripture and hear about Christ and hear the Word of God. So uh, I do want to encourage you in that. Uh, look in 1 John chapter number 4, and as you're finding your place there, not in the Gospel of John, but in 1 John chapter number 4, I want to share with you a, a story that I heard now, some time ago, uh, some of you may, or may be familiar with a, a preacher by the name of D.L. Moody. He lived in the late, 18, late 1800s into the early 1900s. Uh, he was a very famous preacher. He was kind of the Billy Graham of his day. Uh, he preached both in North America and in Europe, and man, God just used him greatly. He started the a church in Chicago that's now known as the Moody uh, Memorial Church, uh, Moody Broadcasting comes out of there and so forth, but uh, D.L. Moody had met, when he was preaching in Europe once, he met a, a, a young preacher by the name of Henry Morehouse. He was very impressed with the young preacher, and he invited him. He said, next time you're in the United States, he said, I would love for you to come by uh, the Moody Church. I'd love for you to come to our church and, and preach. You have an open invitation. So sure enough, Henry Morehouse made it to the United States, and uh, he sent a message to D.L. Moody. He said, well, hey, he said, I'm in the States, and I plan to be in Chicago on this particular Sunday. Well, D.L. Moody said, well, I'm going to be gone that Sunday. He said, but it's fine. He said, I want you to preach. He said, hey, I want you to come and preach that day and just share whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And uh, so sure enough, he did that, and D.L. Moody went out of town. He was gone for about a week. He made it back in time the following Saturday. And when he got back in that following Saturday, he uh, spoke, saw his wife, got home, and he said, so, uh, so how's things, uh, how's everything been going? How's everything at the church? And she says, oh, better. Than that. And that's always a great thing to hear when the pastor's been gone for a week. It's like, man, better than ever. Uh, but that's what she said. And he says, oh, he said, uh, how so? She's like, well, it's that, uh, that young preacher that you had come preach. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's quite a young preacher. He said, well, no, no, it's just that it's not the preacher. She said, but uh, on the Sunday you were gone, he got up there and he preached about the love of God. That morning, that evening, they came back and, well, he preached about the love of God again. Well, they decided to come back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and he came back Monday, and he preached about the love of God. Monday, again on Tuesday, 
Again on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every service he preached about the love of God. Well, they get to church on that Sunday and Morehouse was still in town. And as soon as he saw D.L. Moody, of course, he said, well, Mr. Moody, I'm I'm glad you're back. I enjoy just, I'm I'm looking forward to sitting and getting to hear you preach this morning. D.L. Moody said, well, no, he said, "I, I would like for you to preach again this Sunday. And so he did, and he got up and he said, folks, he said, I almost feel a little embarrassed, he said, but the, the, the subject that I'm going to preach on once again today is the love of God. The love of God. And he began to get up and preach about the love of God. And so this is a subject that I don't tire of. I, I, I've shared recently how that we were, uh, we were criticized as a church uh, some years ago by uh, someone who uh, was uh, well, somebody that knew someone that was coming here and they said, oh, you're going over there to the love church. You're going over there to the love church. And I say guilty, amen. I, I will take that every day of the week. I, I love that uh, idea of the love church. And, and truly, when you think about uh, the purpose of uh, Elk Point Baptist Church and of the church in general, literally, our church exists to help people find life in Jesus Christ and discover abundant life through His Word. And, and, and that's through the love of God. And so as a church, I'm just, I'm just reading to you just directly off of what, what our, kind of our statement of beliefs is as far as our principles. That as a church, we believe in loving God fervently. We believe in loving others faithfully. And we believe in living the abundant life fruitfully. And as I think about this, our core principles, our core values that I preached about a couple of weeks ago, they're all centered in the love of Christ, really. Our very first core value is this. We are gospel-centered. Gospel-centered in everything we do. In other words, it's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yes, that's the gospel that people need to hear in order to be saved by the grace of God. But really, those are the principles that we live by on a daily basis. That's the function of our church. It's about Christ. It's about the love of God. And furthermore, not only we think about gospel-centered in the sense of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also in the fact of good news. Good news. Folks, there's enough bad news in this world, is there not? And so that's why we're gospel-centered in the sense that we have a good news culture around here. Now, understand that there is bad news that we need to understand. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and of course, it talks about the wages of sin being death, and, and, and there's judgment, and there's condemnation. That's the bad news. But the good news is, through the love of God, there is salvation. So, so we're gospel-centered. We're Bible-based. Uh, we love people where they are. That's one of our core values. We love people where they are, which is just simply to say, we don't come to somebody and say, hey, we will, uh, I want to tell you about Christ and His salvation. And if they say, okay, wonderful, that sounds good to me, I would love for Him to be my Savior. Uh, now that's wonderful. But even if that person says, I want nothing to do with your God, I want nothing to do with your morals, I want nothing to do with any of that stuff. I'm just going to keep living the way I'm living and going in the direction I'm going. We don't say, okay, well, nothing to do with you then. You're my enemy. No, we still love them. 
We look at people where they are because just as Jesus loves people for who they are and where they are, we do the same thing. And so we love people where they are. And I'm trying to emphasize the fact of this message of love here. Love people where they are. We enjoy serving Jesus. I'm sharing with you our core values and just showing you how that love is at the heart of each of these. Why do we enjoy serving Jesus? Why do, why do people put in so much volunteer work and sacrifice here at this church? It's because of love. It's because just they love the Lord, the Lord loves us, we love one another, we enjoy being around each other, we believe in the work that God is doing. And then of course, uh, we all, then the last thing is that we live by faith, another one of our core values. But here in 1 John chapter 4, I want to just read a few verses beginning in verse number 7. Where the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and this is one of the most amazing statements I think I've ever read, And His love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. So in these verses, we just read a little bit about God's love and really God's love in you. Getting getting a grasp on the love of God is a powerful and very practical thing because we can speak of love, but love is not just, love that's just spoken about really doesn't mean a whole lot. But love that's manifested. So love is a powerful thing because love is such a practical thing. Receiving, enjoying, and sharing God's love is more vital today than it's ever been. And as God's people, we need to make sure that we're doing just that, receiving God's love, enjoying God's love, sharing God's love with the lost and dying world around us. Indeed, we have good news, don't we? We have that which people need because we know that we know Christ. You know, everybody really wants to be cherished. Everybody wants to be loved unconditionally. Man doesn't really offer unconditional love that often, do they? Matter of fact, uh, one of the greatest greatest motivators uh, about the way people, almost everyone lives their lives, is that we are so motivated by the fear of other people. The fear of being rejected by others, or the fear of not being accepted by others, the fear of not being loved by others. So often, we live our lives and we try to put forth that which we think people are going to accept and love. In other words, it's very difficult sometimes just to really be yourself, right? And I know that's the goal that we want to just be very transparent and honest about who we are. But the fact of the matter is we understand that we live in a world to where there's a lot of conditional love. Quote, unquote, conditional love. 
But folks, today we're going to learn about God's love that's different from the world that people experience. Everyone wants to be cherished, but human devotion isn't always dependable. Even the most stable relationships change over time according to how people feel, the way they treat each other, and whether life is stressful or not. Even sometimes we want to offer unconditional love to others, but as soon as life gets difficult, we can get so self-centered and self-absorbed And because, you know, today, how much does the world, by the way, preach and teach self-love? Uh, I mean, listen, now there's a, there's a thing of self-acceptance and, and so forth. Don't misunderstand me, but there's a lot that really goes on in the name of self-love that is really just selfish. And here's the worst part about it, is that people are told, make sure you love yourself above everything and everybody, and then you'll be happy. But the problem is it's a lie. And when you begin to put yourself, your needs, your wants, your desires over top of everybody else's, that may seem logically to lead to some sort of joy, but I'm telling you, time and time again, it just leads to misery. But today, we're going to look at God's love and really how it relates to us because these verses speak of God's how God works His love through us. We can be thankful that God's love is different than any love you could ever experience in this world. You know, I, I can't hardly ever preach and think and, and talk about God's love and the way people view God's love without understanding and without thinking back to the fact that many people don't have the proper view of God's love, do they? That's one, of it, that's one of the reasons it's our job as God's people, number one, to get it ourselves. I know a lot of saved people that don't really seem to get the love of God. They don't really seem to truly grasp the love of God. So much of their acceptance on God they still think is based on their performance and how they do. But that often that is because we learn about love through people. We learn about love through our parents. And not everybody has parents, and even sometimes the most well-meaning parents don't offer unconditional love. If you're doing good, your parents are proud of you and loving you. Uh, but if you're not, maybe, maybe your parents can't stand you. I've known people who, whose parents wanted nothing to do with them. I've, I've, I've known people who, because of choices they've made, their parents aren't, don't, don't even seem to want them around anymore. And some people look at that and they think, without, even, without thinking of it uh, in a way of analyzing it, just immediately they imagine God's love is that way too. They imagine God's love is performance-based. They imagine God's love is wavering. They imagine that God's love is going to love you if you are doing everything just right and if you're just killing it. But if you're failing and you're not living up, then not so much. Not so much. But folks, I want to say today that God's love is different. And I want to just look at a few principles today that describe His amazing love and His affection for people. And I pray that we as God's people can grasp His great love. Number one, one of the things that we see, and again, many of these things we're familiar with by statement, but I pray that we will be more familiar with them in experience. Number one, God's love is intrinsic to His nature. 
In verse 7, the Bible says that, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth God is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Folks, God is the very source of love. And these verses also reveal that His love is one of the Creator's fundamental character traits. He is love in His very being. God is love. Contrary to the world's mindset, the fact that God is love, by the way, because some people believe that that must mean that God just ignores sin, uh, ignores you know, rebellion. Well, that's not the case. Because God understands what sin does to people's lives. Sin destroys people's lives. So, so some people say God is love, and so it's just like this God that's just like, oh yeah, it's all good. No, He loves people. Here's the thing you need to know about God is this. No matter how deep into whatever sin it may be, someone may sink. God loves that person. God loves the person that is in the deepest, darkest, just nastiest pit of sin. I mean, sinking in He loves that person. But I want you to know something. He loves that person in their sin, but He loves that person too much to leave them in that sin. God is love. And that's why the Bible says when Jesus even came, Matthew one twenty one, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God's love is intrinsic to His nature. Number two, God's love is universal. Look at verse 14 with me again. The Bible says this, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I'm glad that God's love is a universal love. While on earth, Jesus perfectly illustrated the Father's nature and character. One of the most surprising and facts and one of the things that just blesses my heart is this, that in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend. To whom? Who's your friend? You ever think about that? Who's your friend? Who do you hang out with? Who's the people you like to be around? Hey, have you ever had a friend that y'all were friends? But then when you met their other friends, they didn't seem to be as much your friend anymore? Anybody like that? Let me tell you something. Jesus is a friend. But He's a friend. And listen, He's not a friend like in Facebook terms. Amen? Uh, I can't remember a few years ago uh, when, you know, I think it might have been Natalie was uh, quite a bit younger. There was something said about, you know, having friends and how many friends. And they're like, Dad, you've got hundreds of friends. And I'm like, well, not exactly. Uh, not exactly. Jesus is a friend. To whom? Publicans and sinners? That's, that's, that, that's what he was being accused of. And I know I mention that verse from time to time, but I do it for a purpose and a reason. Jesus was a friend of these two groups of people that were despised and avoided by the godly Jews, quote-unquote, of Jesus' day. Now, the publicans, as I've mentioned to you before, were tax collectors. 
Now, they weren't just a despised people because they were tax collectors. They were, they were tax collectors that were Jewish of descent, but working for the Roman government, and they were known to exploit their fellow Jews. The, the, the Roman tax collector was an interesting thing. They were actually permitted. The Roman, the Roman government did not care if the tax collector skimmed off the top. They did not care. As long as they got their taxes. So if they're charging a 10% tax, the, the tax collector may charge a 20% tax and keep 10%. And Rome's fine with that as long as uh, they got their 10%. And that's why, like Zacchaeus, he was a publican. He was the same type of man. They would rob people, and they would do it in the name of the Roman government. They were just hated people. But Jesus was a friend to these people. And then it says he was a friend of publicans, and he was a friend of sinners. Sinners were those who scoffed at God's law. People who failed to participate in temple rituals and or made money by sinful means. He was their friend. He actually enjoyed their company. Now, he didn't partake in their sins, but he loved the people right where they were. Now, here's, now you want to know something about Jesus. So Jesus, clearly, he enjoyed the company of his friends that were publicans and sinners. You ever think about this? They enjoyed his company. They liked being around him. See, some religious people, they can, they can get so holier than thou that, uh, man, don't nobody want to be around that self-righteous stuff, right? People who think they're all that and holier than thou and all that business. And again, folks, I understand there are biblical principles of separation that we need to live by and abide by and understand. But at the same time, man, we need to be friends of sinners. Sinners publicans, those around there, because when you really get down to it, all we are, we know that we are just a bunch of sinners that have been saved by grace. And I know that we look at some sin this way and other sin that way, but the fact of the matter is, is that all men are in sin, just like we were, and God was a friend. Jesus Christ was a friend of publicans and sinners. So, we see that God's love, number one, is intrinsic to His nature. Number two, His love is universal. One of the other great things that means about His love being universal is it's not just to a few people. It's to everyone. I love what verse 14 said. He's the propitiation for our sins. Well, that's actually chapter 2 of this book. It says, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Chapter 4, verse 14 says... And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Do you know that verse messes up some people's theology? But I always say this, if the Bible is, disagrees with your theology, change your theology. Don't try to change the Bible, change your theology. He is the Savior, He came to be the Savior of the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave. It was love that motivates Jesus Christ to, send, to, to come into this world for the Father to send His Son. It was love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's why, folks, He, he sent His Son for that. And I've, 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 Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. 
So guess what? We need to make sure that our lives and our ministry and everything that we do is also communicating the love of Almighty God. Think about that. God giving His life. There's a lot of people that do not know that God loves them. Right where they are. There are a lot of people that question whether or not God loves them. See, that's where sometimes Christians go wrong. We believe in the love of God. We want to protect the love of God. We know how much God loves people. But when you get out in this world and you start trying to talk, to, talk about people to the love of God, you'll have people say, well, I hate God. <gasps> Don't you dare say that about my Savior. I'll tell you what, I'll ring you. Religious people go wrong. When we, because, but what we ought to say is this. We've got we to stop and just consider, I wonder what brought them to that point in their lives. I wonder what religious experience they had. Can you imagine maybe somebody being involved in a church or a cult or some sort of religion to where, that, where God was misrepresented? Do you think that's a possibility? It's not just a possibility. It's, it's even more than a probability. I say it's a fact. I anticipate meeting people. I guarantee you, you know people. And may I, may I add this? Some of the most ungodly people you know, the most filthy mouth people you know, the people that you would uh, that you take talking to Christ with the most, most of those people are people that at some point was hurt. Maybe even abused in a religious context. Or in some kind of church context. In other words, these are people who don't know the love of God. Because man has misrepresented. That's what first what John is telling us here. God's telling us that it's through our lives that we're supposed to represent the love of God. And that's a challenge for any of us. We've got to understand that. But when we meet people that have been that that been hurt that way, I literally People tell me that stuff, I don't gasp. And I don't get in an argument. Well, I don't understand how you could be so mad at God. Well, no, because I haven't walked in their shoes. I'm just like, hey, I get it. But what I'd like to tell you is that God really does like Well, if He, if he loved me, why did He allow this? And why did this happen? And I try to patiently build a relationship. I try to patiently talk with this person. Hey, let me tell you something else. Jesus being a friend of publicans and sinners... I don't see it. The Bible says he was like sitting around eating with them and stuff. Hanging out with them. All right? And what I mean to say by that is, you know, some of us, we don't think we're justified in being around sinners unless we're preaching to them. Let your life preach to them. Let the fact that you care. See, because one of our core values, again, as I said, is we love people where they are. We're not demonstrating loving people where they are when we're constantly preaching to them because what we're saying is, I'll spend time with you, but it's only if you're going to listen to me. And it's only if you're going to respond to what I'm saying. Let me ask you this. Does Jesus care about what's going on in that person's life? Does He? Does He care about what's going on in that person's marriage? What's going on with their school relationships? What's going on in their home? Well, why can't we? Why can't we just be a listening ear? Why can't we just be somebody who genuinely cares about what they're going through in their lives? Why can't we just listen to somebody? Why can't we do that? And so, Jesus Christ, His love that's supposed to be perfected in us, it's a universal love. 
It's an everlasting love. I love Jeremiah 31 verse 3 where the Bible says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Man, God's love for you and God's love for me is an everlasting love. I've said it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a universal love, but it's also an everlasting love. In other words, God loves you to the umph degree. God loves you more than you can imagine. And the pinnacle of that love is really displayed on the cross. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We all await not only physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God. Why? Because of our sin. But God loved you enough that He did the, the only thing that would possibly uh, save you, and that's die on the cross for you. I mean, you talk about love. He died there. He rose again the third day. And listen, but the thing you got to know is that that love is everlasting. He loves you to the umph degree. He always has. He always will. His love has never wavered. His love has never did... Ah, whatever. Our love can get pretty impatient, can't it? Our love can get... We, we can get sick of people, can't we? I know people get sick of me. Some of you are already sick of me right now and you don't even know me. Right? We get sick of people. We'll love. Oh, that was, they didn't appreciate my love. I'm done with that. Amen. See, one of the challenges to loving and, and showing and displaying God's love, I'm going to be real honest with you this morning. Can I be? I hope you will be. Uh, I've been hurt in church before. I've been hurt by people before. Matter of fact, I've been hurt by people and because I had this posture, the posture of the Christian life is the same posture that Christ has. Open arms. Open arms. But I want to tell you what inevitably happens when you have open arms. When you have your arms open like this, you're vulnerable. Your heart is not protected. And if you're trying to love people, let me tell you what people do. They hurt you. That's what people do. We're good at that. All right? So I've been hurt. And I've been, I'm going to tell you something. I came to Elk Point prepared. Okay, God, I'm coming here because this is where you're calling me to go. But I'm not getting hurt. And the way I'm going to make sure I don't get hurt is I'm going to go like this. I'm changing my posture. I'm coming, I'm going to preach, I'm going to start a church, I'm going to do everything you said, but I'm not, they're not getting me again. But you know what? You can't, you can't do a work for God that way. So God began to soften my heart and help me begin to trust Him again. Not people, but trust Him again. And I trust people to a certain extent. Uh, but I trust God. And so I just began to open up my arms and, and, uh, and, and have you been hurt since then? Sure have. But you know what? God's gracious, amen. And, and, and when we get hurt with Him, we can identify with Him and He gives us the grace to make it through. And so, uh, so I began to, to, to once again get back to the posture that I'm supposed to have. Lord, I'm just going to love them. Just going to love people. And uh, pe you know, I mean, people, 
You, you can give your life for people and people not care. I remember hearing about uh, uh, a friend of mine out in, uh, he's not really a friend of mine, but a, a fellow that I know pastors out in California, but he was just talking about some of the, the difficulties, because you have different things in your life and as church members, but, but as pastors, pastors have different things, you know, like this is my life, right? Uh, I mean, I, I live and die for you and for even those that aren't here yet. This is it. I don't clock out and be like, okay, we'll get back to that tomorrow. No, this is it. But, but, but a friend of mine, man, he put it in perspective whenever he, he talked about a family, and this is more than once, but he was talking about a particular time, he, a family that he had, uh, you know, that he had led to Christ when they were younger. And they got married. He married them in the church. They had kids in the church. Their kids grew up in the church. The church had a Christian school and they got a college. And the kids grew up in the Christian school and they got saved. And, and he baptized them. And, and then they had kids in the church. And you know, and he just, what a joy to see what all that God has done in this family's life. And then all of a sudden, just on a certain Sunday, uh, the man walks up to him and says, well, pastor, it's our last Sunday. We're moving to Arizona. Nothing wrong with moving to Arizona. Nothing wrong with leaving. But he was just like, ouch. You know, like, man, you are my life. But for them, it's just like, no, we're gone. We're good. You know, thanks for everything, but we're, you, you see what I'm kind of getting at? Maybe not. But the thought is, is that you can get hurt as a pastor, as a church member. But so, uh, God's love is an everlasting love. God's love is an unconditional love. The love that we should show. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or proved His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is unconditional. God's love is sacrificial. I guess I got ahead of myself because I was talking about that sacrifice. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ surrendered His life on the cross so that we might have eternal life and enjoy fellowship with God while we're still living on earth. I mean, to think about His great love for us. God's love is, uh, it is unwavering. It is universal. It is indeed sacrificial and unconditional and everlasting. But I want to give you these last couple here, and then we'll go. The Bible says this in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. In other words, God's love is contagious. God's love is contagious. Man, we love God, and through God's love in us, man, I'm telling you, I, I, I remember, I love church, don't you? I mean, I really do. I, I, and, and, and again, I know not every church is a healthy church, but I, I thank God for our church and the, and the health of our church. The church I got saved in was a healthy church, and I loved going to church. Man, God's love was contagious. I loved it. Those people loved seeing me when I came in. That was cool. They cared about me. Those, and, and it wasn't just something superficial. They loved seeing me when I was there, but they were also people that I could reach out to when I wasn't there. 
And I loved it. I mean, I, I still to this day, I have such the fondest memories of those people who just I just saw love at Harvest Baptist Church in Bessemer City, North Carolina. And I'm telling you, it was just contagious. And I feel it's the same way here at Elk Point, man. Just the love of God, it's contagious. People loving one another, caring about one another. I mean, it flows through the fellowship and those around us. I mean, shed abroad in our hearts. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Fervent charity. Charity for charity for love shall cover the multitude of sins. And then, uh, then the last thing is that God's love is motivating. God's love is motivating. Again, verse 9 of our text says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Verse 12 again says, No man hath seen God at any time. You know, it's, it's the same principle that goes along with the Bible, really. Not, every, not too many people read the Bible that you know. But the Bible says we're supposed to be living letters. We're supposed to be an example of what God's Word says by the way we live our lives. It's the same principle here. No man's seen God at any time. I've not seen God. But the Bible says that God's love is perfected in us. So in other words, by the way we live our lives, treat our families, treat other people, somebody ought to say, man, I see Jesus in that person. No man has seen God, but people ought to see God through our lives. People ought, people ought to see God through the ministries of this church. That's kind of the goal there, the love of God. God's love is motivating. Man, God, thinking about all that He did for us, when we learn to set our minds on God's affection, we have a greater ability. Did you know this? We actually have a greater ability to overcome sin. Instead of indulging in selfly or selfish fleshly desires. And you know what that includes? Self-loathing and pity. Anybody ever self-loathe and pity yourself? Pity the fool? Um, but God's love can help us to get past all that stuff. See, really, you think about this. Sin is often an attempt to meet legitimate needs apart from God. That's what sin often is. Sin is often an attempt to meet legitimate needs apart from God. This means that the root of almost every transgression is a genuine need for comfort, peace, acceptance, approval, all that's found in God's love. Here's what the Bible says in, about God's love in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, Love wins. The victory of love. The power of God's love. And may God help us this morning to get our attention turned on His love. Meditate on His love. And by the grace of God, allow His love to be lived out through your life. Let's all stand please and Barb will come and we'll be dismissed. Oh God's love.
And it's not just God's love in some abstract form. It's God's love at work. Yes, God's love at work for you, but also God's love at work in you. May God help us to display His love and not be sidetracked by the other things that we have to face in this life. Right before we dismiss this morning, I want to ask you this. Have you received the love of God? Maybe you've been brought up in a tradition that has some formula for you to somehow attain the love of God. Or maybe it's God's love along with whatever works you may have to do. But I want to tell you today that God's love with what He did on the cross, that's the answer to your sin. That's the answer to your need today. And if, you, if you've never done so, I want to invite you right now as we stand together just in this moment, if you've never invited Jesus Christ in your heart and your life, wouldn't you like to do that today? Receive His love. You could pray a prayer from your heart like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you today my need of you. I want to confess right now that I've sinned. And Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life and be my Savior. Hey, did you pray that prayer? The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope you did. Maybe, child of God, how's your posture? As in what I was referring to earlier, are you protecting your heart? Or do you have a posture of an open heart? Open arms. Showing the love of Christ. May God help us with everything we do to be motivated by God's love.